When I started teaching, 90% of my students came from a home of mom and dad. 15, 17 years later, uh, teaching, only 10% of my students came from a home of mom and dad. You know, they were either was raised by a grandparent, a foster home, a, you know, same gender parents or you name it. However, the books didn't reflect those family dynamics. And so when I would talk to the director and say, can we get some books that reflect my students? Um, there'd, it'd always be, there's no money, there's no this, there's no that. And I remember sitting in the teacher's lounge one time, kind of complaining to another teacher. And all of a sudden a bell went off in my head. It said, you can either complain or you can do something about it. Write, write a book. I wrote a book, I published it. It's got phenomenal reviews on Amazon. And basically it's telling children it doesn't matter what fi- family dynamic you come from. If you come from a family dynamic with a mom and a dad, you're blessed. If you come from a family dynamic of whatever else, you're blessed. That's where you are. That's where you belong. You're loved. You're blessed. Welcome, everyone, to the podcast. I have a wonderful guest with me today. And what I love is when I go, I, we do pre-interviews, we chat, and then I go do homework. And I found out so many great things about my guests today, more than I knew when we first chatted. And there's so much to talk about. Jason Galvez is with me. Jason, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Thank you. I appreciate it, David. I'm doing awesome. Excellent. Like I mentioned, we we got to talk about dad space and being a dad, and we that was our initial chat. But then doing some more research on you, I'm seeing a YouTube channel. I'm seeing a book. I'm seeing you showing beautiful videos from Italy and me longing to be there. Um, And such great stuff out online. Amazing things that you're sharing, Jason. So um, let's talk first about the dad's side of our conversation where we started. Um, We have our podcast, Dad Space, and we're all about sharing inspiration for dads. Your story is unique. I'd love to hear your dad's story and share a little bit about you, where you are in the world, and we can start with her right there. Awesome. I'm happy to take this in any direction you want to take it, David. Um, so uh, I, uh, as far as a dad, um, I probably got into fatherhood a little bit later than the average dad. Uh, I was 37 when I had my first child. Basically, um, uh, I was married. And we wanted to adopt. We are a same gender couple. Uh, certainly, we could have had our own biological children. Just because you're gay doesn't mean your stuff doesn't work. Yeah. Um, we certainly could have had in vitro. Um, but we just really thought that there's a lot of kids out there that need, you know, a bedroom and some love. And we want, so we went the adoption route. And it was actually, believe it or not, shortly after our, um, uh, honeymoon. We honeymooned after, in Greece and uh, it was on the boat, ba- actually uh, back from Greece. Uh, we started writing what's called our birth mother book, birth mother letter. Every time somebody wants to adopt, you have to uh, create what's called a birth mother book. And that is for uh, birth mothers who have an adoption plan. They read your quote book and then they choose you or at least mm-hmm. interview you for um, uh, for for their adoption plan. So uh, we started writing uh, our birth mother book on the boat back from Greece. And um, when we got back here to the States, 
and we're in New York, we hit the ground running with creating such a book. And uh, we found an adoption agency. We put our book in and basically what the protocol is that social workers tell you, once you give us a birth mother book, just go on with your life. Pretend because you don't know if you're going to get a call in four days or four years. Mm. So just go on with your life. And um, it was 13 months after we put our book in that uh, I got a call and the social worker was like, you know, are you sitting down? I said, okay. (laughs) She said, is Eric home? I said, you're scaring me. Just tell me. I can't deal with the anticipation. And she chose you guys as uh, the parents. She's um, seven months pregnant. Sorry, is my internet internet? Yeah, you're fine. You're good. She um, was seven months pregnant. We uh, met her on a Thursday. The following Tuesday, we were in our first sonogram with her. And we were in every doctor visit with her thereafter until she went into labor. And we were in the room and we cut cut the cord. Um, Two days later, we all hugged and cried in the hospital and said our goodbyes. And our son just turned 11 last week. Wow. That was our first adoption. Um, and then our second adoption uh, was just as wonderful, um, only it was from foster to adopt. So we were in the foster care system at this point. Um, this is, you know, five years later, and uh, we were fostering some children. And uh, we got a call and they said there was a little girl that was just born a few hours ago. Her birth mother um, gave up parental rights. She's up for adoption. Do you want her? And uh, so within minutes, we were going 80 to the wow, hospital. No way. <laughs> Oh my and, goodness. Uh, and uh got to the hospital and she just melted my heart. Oh my lord. And uh, um so anyway, uh uh three months later, we were all in court to finalize the adoption, and we met the birth mother for our daughter uh for the first time. And it was interesting because um she's Filipino and our baby's birth father is Irish, and my spouse is Filipino and I'm half Irish. So it was just so interesting, but that was a, that was a wonderful thing too. And after court, same thing, we hugged the birth mother and cried and exchanged our thank yous and went on with our life. And that was that. And our daughter is going to be um, six next month. Wow. That's amazing. What a story, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like these kids, right. They, they're looking for love, right. And for you guys to reach out like that, create a safe space, a home for them. And the love that you're showing for them, that's just, that's amazing. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're, we're very blessed. And, and we know that. Um, we've heard a lot of adoption horror stories, um, whether it's through private adoption, surrogacy, in vitro, um, uh, foster to adopt, you know. Um, and uh, we're very understanding and sympathetic to those stories. And luckily, um, have two beautiful stories and two beautiful children. What's changed from what you wrote down in that book before you had your first to today? What's well, different? I'll tell you something. There's uh, there's a, a famous child psychologist. Unfortunately, I can't remember his name right now, but he's a famous child psychologist. And he said, before kids, I had six theories. Now I have six kids and no theories. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I think... I think, and this is what, listen, there's no substitute for experience. I don't care in what, what area of life, but I, you know, I was probably a lot more judgmental 
towards parents before kids. Um, when I'd be out at a restaurant and kids would be crying or I'd be like, Oh my God, like tell your kid to be quiet. We're eating, yeah. you know? Um, or you'd see kids that were on their computers. You're like, Oh my, I would never give my computer, my kid a computer at this age. Well, you know, I put my foot in my mouth more times than I care to admit. Mm. <laughs> Amazing. So explain to me, tell me about this. I'm really curious, Jason, tell me the, the life of two dads, what do you think is your superpower with you and your husband as far as being two dads in this environment? I'm really curious. Yeah. You know something? I, I'm going to be honest with you, David. I, I can't pinpoint if there is a superpower because I think children understand their family dynamics. If a child is raised with a grandmother, that's their family. Yeah. If a child is raised with a mom and a dad, that's their family. If a child is raised by an older sibling, that's their family. If a child is raised in um, uh, an orphanage, that's their family dynamic. If a child is raised with two loving parents of the same gender, that's their family. So exactly. I, I, I don't think necessarily think we have a, a superpower. I just think we're two parents making a lot of mistakes, trying to manage each day to the best of our ability. Tell me what father's day is like. So father's day is, 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 is it. nice is nice because, um, you know, it's a big deal. It's obviously, a, it's yeah. a big deal in our, in our house. Um, uh, um, but, but at the same token, it, it's, it's, it's like any other holiday too. I mean, you know, um, uh, you know, we try very hard not to, you know, everything comes from a position of what we have as opposed to what we don't have. Good. So, you know, our kids will tell you both of them, they won't tell you we don't have a mom. They will tell you we're blessed with two dads. Or, you know, um, you know, and I, I think we discussed this in, in the before, you know, we don't celebrate Mother's Day simply because it doesn't apply to our family. You know, it's it's the same thing as Hanukkah. We know people celebrate Hanukkah. We love and respect people that celebrate Hanukkah. Um, just we don't celebrate it. It's not our family dynamic. It's the same thing with Mother's Day. So, you know, there's not these big highs and these low lows. It's that, you know, we're a family like everything else and we just live. I love how you frame that, Jason. That's really, that's smart. Really, really good. Tell me, what are you enjoying about being a dad? Well, okay. <laughs> first, let me tell you what I don't enjoy. Okay. I want to hear that too then. That was part two, but I, let's do this first. I love it. Um you know, uh, I have a psychology background and there's something in psychology that often it's a statement that says there's something about that person I don't like about myself. Ooh. And so many times when we're dealing with people, it's because we are sandpaper and they are sandpaper. And together we're trying to smooth each other's edges out, but that's not a good feeling. No. So when your child responds to you in a way that you would respond to yourself, if you were that younger child. You are humbled very quickly yes. or even more sad, David, if your child responds to a situation in not a favorable way, but they're taking after you and how mm. you would respond to that situation. Uh, that's a wake up call. That's a lesson that, that that's humble pie. Um, and uh, being Italian, I don't want to, you know, put blame on anything, but I guess I, I, I will for a second being Italian. My emotions are often all over the place. I mean, mm -hmm. I am very flowery in my words. I'm very moody and emotional. And, mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, my spouse, on the other hand, it's like, you know, the EKG machines. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So EKG machine. Yeah. So, so me, 
I am like I like I am like this. An off the charts. Off the charts. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 From the second I, second my feet hit the floor in the morning, yeah. I am like this all day long. And my spouse is like, if he took his last breath, mm. I don't care if he lost his job, won the Powerball lottery. It doesn't matter. It's yeah. And so oftentimes, I yeah. just pray my kids take after my spouse's personality more because you know he's just. Uh, one of the things that I always, in my coaching field, I always tell people is what's nice is that, you know, above the ocean is, you know, these uh, flurries and a tempest and there's rainstorms and thunderstorms. And all that. Yeah. But if you go a few meters down, it is calm as calm it can be. Yeah. And that is my spouse. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world and our family. He is just as calm as calm can be. Me, it's like, if the dishes aren't put away a certain way, it's like, there's that EKG machine. So I wish my kids yeah. more took after. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So those lessons are hard pills to swallow when I have to take a look, look at myself and say, okay, I need to kind of chill. I need to mm. do this. Do that. Um, but, but, but being a dad, I mean, listen, you, one of, one of the, I know I'm going all over the place. Oh, this place. Is good. I, I, so I apologize. One of the difficult lines to walk, Dave, I don't know if, if you found this with your own fatherhood. One of the difficult lines to walk is to give your children, to give your child everything you never had, but at the same token, ensuring they don't become outspoiled. Mm -hmm. So I think I went to the movies with my family. I'm going to stretch it and say three times in my life. Wow. We went on one vacation that I remember in my whole life, and that was to Canada, where you are. Hello. Um, yeah. uh, to a safari. Yeah. Um, my kids aren't even, if, before they were five, they've been to five different countries. Um, they, they, we live in a very, I mean, I'm, I'm just stating fact, we live in like a 5,000 square house. We have an in-ground pool, two acres. The, we, people don't lock their doors where I am. Our neighbors are the best. I mean, we're living like a 50s community. I want to give my kids everything I didn't have. And trust me, we were below poverty growing mm -hmm. up. Yeah. But at the same token, I don't want my kids to ever feel entitled or spoiled because I didn't do my job as a father if that happens. Yeah. Because yeah. they're, yeah, they are, a, they are a microphone and a microscope on us as dads. They they take what we say and they make it louder. They take what we do and they make it bigger. Um, and you see it all the time, right? And that's a that's a def, definitely a, a a line you you want to be, be very careful with, is you don't want to go too far and give them, like you said, spoil where they can have everything at any time. I've been to FAO Schwartz in New York City, and I've seen the limousine pull up and a nine year old get out and go shopping. And I'm like, what is going on here that a kid can have a limo and a driver and get sent to the toy store and get whatever he wants. And I'm like, my kids don't have that. Right. And then a little piece of me is like, I would love to be able to have that for my kids. But then I'm like, wait a minute, what is that teaching them? What is that giving them as a dad? And I think the example we show as dads is probably one of the best learnings because they're going to see us do our best and our worst. And they're going to learn from us and see how we adapt to those traumatic 
off the charts times and those calm times. They're yeah. going to watch us as, as kids and they're just soaking it in like a sponge. I just want to say, I have a funny feeling, David, if you were to interview uh, a nine-year-old today who got out of a limo and walked into FAO Schwartz, I have a funny feeling he would say, you know, something that was nice, but what I would have really loved was to have time with my dad growing up. See, right? Because there's some things don't replace time with dad. No. Right? no. And I think a lot of dads need to hear that too, though. That yes. in all the efforts we do to provide for family, work the extra shift, take the extra day, take the extra phone call, work a couple hours after work to serve to, to provide for my family, we're also neglecting, in a sense, the time that our kids want from us. Yeah. I don't know if you ever heard the story. This little boy asked his dad, Dad, how much do you make an hour? And the dad said, why are you asking me that? He said, I just want to know how much do you make in an hour? And the dad got very upset. He was like, that's none of your business how much I make for an hour. I work very hard for this family. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, and he went on this long tangent and um, come to find out the little boy was asking how much his dad made an hour because he wanted to come up with that money so he can buy an hour of his dad's time. <laughs> Jason, you're going right for the feels. Like what's up? With that? <laughs> Seriously, that's it, right? Yeah. Like, I can just see them counting their change on their bed. Like I've got yeah. this the best gift money. we can give our children is our presence. Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, we want to give, I mean, my Lord, like I said, my, my 11 year old has a freaking Apple watch that I don't, I didn't have a computer until I was 23 and I bought my own. We can give our kids all the worldly possessions, but at the end of the day, they just want us, they want, they want us to be their dad. They want us to sit with them, talk with them, tell them we love them. We're proud of them. Excellent. So any advice, Jason, for two dad households? out there listening to this podcast because I'm noticing a gap in podcast episodes featuring great families like yours. What would you say to two dad families, maybe before they've had their first adoption? What would you say to them? Well, here's the deal. There are a lot, actually the majority of two dad families that adopt are going to adopt transracially. That's just what the statistics are. Okay. And one of the main things that I would say is stop trying to appeal to the masses. If you are a uh, black couple, you can successfully raise a white child. You don't have to go above and beyond, go out of your way and do A, B, and C. Just parent that child, period. If you're a white couple and you raise a black child, you are completely capable. I, 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 I don't like the you don't understand the experience of, yes, there is absolutely worth in that statement. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. But, um, and yes, no matter what child you're raising, adopted child, you should understand their culture, their dynamic, absolutely without question. But far too many parents are going so overboard trying to appeal and appease the masses, they're taking away energy from their family. So I don't care what dynamic uh, any family is listening to this. Do you and do your family, okay. period. Tell me a little bit about the foster parenting side too. What did what was something that brought you joy in the process of fostering? Well, you know something, I mean, I can tell you story upon story upon story. There's a few not so successful stories, but, but um, uh, for instance, we 
uh, had a 17 year old um, foster child in our home. He was here for over a year. Uh, very strenuous, very strenuous. He, you know, he was on drugs. He had a lot of family issues. Um, and it was strenuous because we had small children of our own in the home. So, um, and there was times he had some anger issues. So there, um, however, fast forward five years, he is now a, um, MP, a military police in the Marines. He's doing phenomenal and he still keeps in touch with us and thanks us, uh, periodically. Um, uh, we had a little girl who came to us who was, uh, sexually abused by, um, previous foster families and, uh, she would not let anybody give her a bath at all. And, um, after a couple months, she was running in the bathroom undressing as we were mm-hmm. running into the bathroom together for, for me to give her a bath. So there's a lot of wonderful, positive stories with foster kids. Um, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why I, um, pursued trauma coaching, you know, not only from a place of, of experience, but also, um, I, I, I just, trauma informed information is necessary if you're going to work with people that are traumatized. And I think a lot of foster parents have the best intentions, absolutely nothing but the best intentions, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily the best behavior or input simply because they're not trauma informed. Um, so, uh, I loved fostering. We did it for a, a good chunk of years, five or six years, helped a lot of kids, um, you know, I, I don't know if you ever heard of the black bag effect, but a lot of the foster kids, every, they go from home to home, to home, to home, to home. And what you do is when it's time to leave, you go get the big black garbage bag and you put all their toys and all their clothes. Um, kid, kids in foster home, kids in the foster program hate black garbage bags. They hate them. We made it a point every single time we had kids leave, we got them their own luggage. So just little things like that, you know, that made them feel unique and special. So that's a great say. Thank you for serving in that way. That's beautiful that you guys would open your home in that way. That's a great segue to your coaching as well. Um, Tell me, I have your website up on the screen as we talk. Can you tell people a little bit about what you do? Um, And you have a book as well, which I want to talk about as well. Yeah. So, uh, well, I have a, so I have a children's book. It's a, I am loved right where I am. It's a children's book. And the reason for that book is because before I got into coaching, before I, uh, adopted children, I was a special ed teacher for many years. And when I started teaching 90% of my students came from a home of mom and dad, 15, 17 years later, uh, teaching only 10% of my students came from a home of a mom and dad. Mm-hmm. You know, they were either was raised by a grandparent, a foster home, a, you yeah. know, same gender parents or you name it. However, the books didn't reflect those family dynamics. Yeah. And so when I would talk to the director and say, can we get some books that reflect my students? Um, there'd it'd always be, there's no money. There's no this, there's no that. And I remember sitting in the teacher's lounge one time, kind of complaining to another teacher. And all of a sudden a bell went off in my head. It said, you can either complain or you can do something about it, write Mm -hmm. write a book. And so anyway, so there's a long story with that because publishing a book is not easy, but um, I wrote a book, I published it. It's got phenomenal reviews on Amazon. And basically it's telling children, it doesn't matter what family dynamic you come from. If you come from a family dynamic with a mom and a dad, you're blessed. If you come from a family dynamic of whatever else, you're blessed. Yeah. That's where you are. That's where you belong. You're loved. You're blessed. 
Um, I don't want kids to, you know, it's hard enough having to go to school and learn uh, when there's all these other different stressors in life, let alone feeling uh, insecure because maybe you don't have a traditional home life. And so I just wanted kids to know no matter what home life you have, you're loved right where you are. Beautiful. Um, so that was that. Now, years later, um, I, uh, I got into, co- well, I got into coaching a while ago. Um, and then what happened was, uh, and I'll try to be very quick with this. My father died abruptly. And when I mean abruptly, I mean, I mean like one day I was talking to him on the phone and I think it was like four days later I, I was burying him. And, uh, and in a couple of days after I buried my father, I woke up in the middle of the night, well, maybe two, three, four in the morning with a panic attack. I never had a panic attack. I never knew what one felt like. They literally feel like you're dying. Um, I had a panic attack. I woke up because I smelled smoke in my house and I went all around my house trying to find the origin of the smoke. And, um, I could not find it. I could, I opened my doors outside. I went in my kitchen. I could not find the origin of the smoke, but I smelled smoke, but it was nowhere at all. So I laid back down in bed. And when my head hit the pillow, all of a sudden I was transcended back to when I was six years old and I was standing next to my mother watching her cry because our house burned down in a fire and I was smelling the smoke from those fumes. See what happened was my father's death brought up a lot of unhealed childhood trauma. Mm. And that led me on a journey to look into trauma. And that journey led me into uh, long story short, getting involved with somebody who I met doing a Ted talk who I trained under her. I got certified as a betrayal trauma practitioner and now I work with people that um, have have been traumatized either in their childhood or by a significant other or by a primary attachment. Wow. That's amazing. Like, like I said, our initial conversation, we were talking dad space, fatherhood. <laughs> and then just to see this unfold in front of me as I continue to, to, to dig deeper, it's, it's amazing the, the things that you're offering, Jason. And, and I'm watching your videos on YouTube as well. They're so helpful, encouraging. You're just presenting such um, a great side to helping people who are in this space that are looking for a resource. And, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that I've come across all of this great information from just a, an interview for a podcast. Uh, <laughs> you're bringing me in. You're bringing me in and I'm enjoying it. You know, I always say that people don't find their um, purpose through their passions. Uh, they, they find their purpose through their pain. And, you know, uh, I have, I have degrees and certifications up the wazoo, but when you're talking to someone who's traumatized, they don't care. I mean, maybe initially they want to know, do you know, what you're but they don't care. What they want to know is, do you get me? Mm-hmm. And I think having a doctorate from the school of hard knocks helps me understand people. And when you're talking to somebody who you can understand because you can relate, it's a different conversation. And uh, I think, you know, uh, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back in, in, in any way, shape or form, but I do believe that the best wisdom is born from pain. And I believe that's why I think I'm so successful in what I do, because there's a relatability and people are much more into relatability, even over likability. You can like somebody's personality. You can say, holy crap, this person has an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, this certification, and that certification. But if you don't jive. Mm-hmm. on an energy level 
You're just not going to get the most out of that session. And I think because I've been through a tremendous amount of trauma all my life. Yeah. Now I can speak to somebody um, on a different energy level. And you come, you come with a great heart too, Jason, like you're presenting your, the stuff that you're, you're showing with to the world and you're, you're doing it in such a gentle way. And I'm appreciating it as a, as someone consuming your content. It's, it's amazing. It's really, really great. So um, how do people connect with you, Jason? Because beyond the podcast and talking all things dad, I just, I would love to kind of point people towards your book and to what you do as well. How do people get into your world? Yeah. So um, I, I do premarital coaching. I'm also a wedding officiant. As a matter of fact, I have two weddings coming up that I'm working on right now. Thanks. So um, uh, I do premarital coaching. I do marital coaching. Um, and like I said, I also do uh, trauma coaching. Um, uh, I have a website, which is very easy in my opinion. It's mrjrelationshipcoach.com. Um, and what I tell people is this, even if people don't want to work with me, um, uh, wonderful. Please just visit my website because like you said, I am on all forms of social media every single day on my YouTube channel. I upload what I call a, um, we, uh, a daily dose of vitamin J where I'm giving some tip or technique on, on dating, divorce, marriage, trauma, you name it. So even if people never, uh, come to my website to pursue a session with me of any sort, just come and take advantage of the many free resources. And again, that's mrjrelationshipcoach.com. And like I said, I've watched your clip of you in Italy with your nighttime <laughs> routine and you take your camera out the window and you just look over the courtyard. You see people milling around and it felt like a movie. Like you just transported me there. And I felt so, it's so peaceful. Just the, what you ca captured it on video. It, everyone, I'm going to put a link to that. Obviously, everybody has to go see that that one particularly. <laughs> so go and check out Jason's stuff um, and support Jason. And you're doing such great things. Thank you. Uh, I just want to say quickly: yeah. the reason for this this last Italy trip is because um, uh, 17 years ago or 20 years ago, uh, I got engaged in Venice. So nice. now that we have kids, we wanted to take our kids back to where their parents got engaged. So that's what we did. Beautiful. It's beautiful. So, okay, Jason, we're going to close off. What what can we leave people with? What's your inspiration for today? You you say you upload them to YouTube. You have a chance right now on my podcast. I would love to have a daily dose. What what are you going to provide for us right now? A, a couple of things I'll say real quickly. This off the top of my head. Number one, never expect you from other people. So many times I hear from people that tell me, well, you know, I'm talking to this person. Common sense says, no, no, no. You're running through things for your own filter. That's common sense to you. Number two, I tell people all the time when it comes to trauma, would you, if a snake just bit you and, and put poison in your veins, would you pick that snake up and, and, and put the fangs back in your arm a thousand times? No. Well, this is what happens after we are hurt. See, other people give us pain. We give ourselves suffering. When people hurt us, what we want to do is we want to change our dialogue and we want to put our own story into it. Well, they did that because of this reason and they thought I was stupid and I must mean nothing to them. That that's our own dialogue. What happens is that we narrate and then we ruminate and then we marinate. And once mm. we marinate, we change the neural, uh, the, the, uh, the neural pathways in our brain, which are very hard to undo. So be very, very careful uh, not to give yourself 
suffering after other people give you pain. You got to stop that self-dialogue before it gets into rumination, which before it gets into marination. I can give you a thousand doses of vitamin J, but I'll just stop with those two. <laughs> there you go. You've had your dose, everyone. Some vitamin <laughs> J. It's in your system now. And you need to go check out Jason and all of this stuff. Jason, thank you for sharing your dad's story with us today on Dad Space. And we're going to also repurpose this over on Living the Next Chapter, where we talk about books. Because awesome. we want people to see the book and connect with you there as well. So you have two different audiences from one podcast episode. Thank you so much for making time today, Jason. Thank you, David. Never hesitate to reach out for any reason. Appreciate awesome. your time. Thank you. Hey guys, thank you for listening to the podcast. Jump over to livingthenextchapter.com, our website, and you will see a spot where you can leave a voice message. We'd love to hear your feedback. We're trying to make it as easy as possible to hear from you. So if you want your voice on this podcast, yes, that's possible. Go to livingthenextchapter.com, click the little icon, little microphone icon, leave a voice message. We'll insert your message into the podcast. Tell us where you're listening from. Uh, tell us your favorite guest. Maybe there's a guest we should have on the podcast. Maybe you should be our next guest. Leave us a message at livingthenextchapter.com. Again, thank you so much for listening. Please share this podcast episode with one person. That's all we're asking. Meet you over there at livingthenextchapter.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Love to hear from you. Till the next episode, it's coming up right away. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Thank you for being part of Living the Next Chapter. Thank you for supporting our guests. Have a great day.